everyone. Welcome to episode number 63 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. We've got our friend Jeff Snow on here today. He's a personal trainer, um, nutrition coach out of Halifax, Nova Scotia. This one's big on nutrition and especially in setting up your environment for success. We talk about cannabis, uh, now it's legal in Canada, and how that may have direct and indirect effects on uh, users' fitness and weight. A lot of talk about snacking and the, the environment, eating late, the old myth that should be dead, but where eating late actually will get you into trouble, and uh, nutrition for parents and their kids. Again, it relates to the environment you create, and that's a bit of a touchy discussion. Stick around, it's an awesome episode. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, uh, like many of our previous guests, uh, we pulled someone on here who's a friend of mine that I've met through my travels uh, at fitness conferences and just through the industry. So it's my friend, Jeff Snow. He's from Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's a trainer, nutrition coach, owns Redefine Wellness, and uh, it's actually really cool to have you on here. It's his first podcast appearance, much like when I was in Spokane in April, his first you know international fitness speaking engagement which was really cool. We're popping his cherry, his podcast I, cherry. You know what? I hate that euphemism so much. It's, it's very horrible. It's very horrible. It's such a, just a, a lazy and overused euphemism. So it's very horrible. <laughs> Welcome, buddy. How are you doing? It works exactly. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, like should we jump right into it? Like, well, I mean, yeah, I suppose like oftentimes we'll ask what people are up to, but the the first thing we're going to ask you about really goes into that. You. You had left a previous career when you first uh, started Redefine Wellness. Uh, you found yourself doing online coaching, and you're also contracting out of a local gym. You've since left that gym, and you've transitioned well, you've into... term left, yes. <laughs> politely, so. <laughs> Guido and I both had also left um, previous <laughs> employers, and it, these sort of situations aren't necessarily always on like the best of terms. It originally was, but uh, and I know some of these people listen to stuff, but I won't get into too much specifics because there's some shit right now. But uh, things are not amicable, and I've been gone a long time, so there's there's some major shit there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can't we we won't we could have a whole podcast on on left. <laughs> but uh, I got people curious I, I would, now. I, I could easily take part of that one as well. If you guys want to have a, a second podcast where we just discuss those types Maybe of like two years. I think that's two not years? a bad idea. Two years. I, I need to make sure that uh, it's not going to cause any legal issues. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. But uh, let's see. Could you explain how you established your own business uh, and, and how you did with the transition out of being working in one specific environment to going on your own because this is something that a lot of trainers and coaches are dealing with now more than ever and want to yeah yeah sure so um i had kind of started redefine um in 2015 i guess is when i had kind of uh initially you know unofficially launched it um it was a pure online type of deal i was only taking a few clients because i had you know a main gig i was a you know a different career um, but I had kind of developed this passion for specifically nutrition. Um, that's kind of more my, uh, my, my real enjoyment out of everything between the training and nutrition. But I had, you know, started this thing on the side. Um, and then eventually I'd realized that I wanted to do this. It all started because I was a, you know, an overweight guy myself. I was around 235, 240 pounds at my heaviest, uh, dropped down to, uh, about 165 at my lowest, oh, um, and then, you know, I've, I've, you know, built myself up obviously a little bit and I'm around mid one eighties now, but that whole process really showed me cause I did it all on my own. I never had a trainer. I never had a coach. Um, I guinea pig the hell out of myself. Um, and I kind of learned who I should be listening to, who mm -hmm. I shouldn't be listening to and, and, and through that process. And I was lucky enough to be smart enough to listen to the right people. I understand who I should have yeah. been listening to. So I kind of, from that, wanted to be that type of person um, for, for other folks. Um, so 2016 came around. Um, I think it was 2016, yeah, I, and I launched, you know, officially um, and kind of did my, you know, still in the, in the, in the same role in my other career. Um, 2017 came around and I transitioned full time into it. 
Um, I had left my job at the end of 27 or uh, end of 2016. 2017 was uh, me doing the online thing and then contracting out, like you said, Andrew, to that gym. Um, and I loved in-person training. Um, I loved my clients. I loved the time I got to spend with them, the results they were getting. Uh, but then things came to an end a couple months ago. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, through a couple different means. Um, and uh, and then I transitioned completely online. So now I'm, I'm, I'm just continuing to do that, all online nutrition coaching. Um, I've kind of steered away from the training aspect because I know my strength is in the nutrition aspect. Um, and then I kind of just refer out to those that I, I know um, are better than me on that training aspect. Uh, and then I've got the, you know, Spencer and I, as you know, Andrew, are, are working together. I've been working with Spencer Nadalski mm -hmm. for, well, I got hooked up with him about four years ago, probably total now. Um, but we've got something pretty cool launching soon. Can't really go into a whole lot of details, but we've got some ah. exciting stuff coming up soon. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. I, um, I was going to sort of throw a couple things there. Um, it, I was going to say, like, when you said the right people to listen to, and again, you're good friends with Spencer Adolski, he definitely would be one of those people. Who are some of the other right people to listen to? Who are some of the people who are formative in you acquiring your knowledge? Sure. I mean, in terms of who I was listening to at the time, you know, when I first started getting into it, it was kind of kind of everybody. But when it over the past couple years, especially, I've been listening to or, you know, and following and, I, and I've got to know uh, Sohi and Brett um, through Spencer um, in terms of training females, which is a large part of my clientele. Um, you know, I don't target them specifically, but um, it just so happens that most of my clients do happen to be women. Um, I think so. He does such a great job, um, you know, discussing the, the, the benefits of strength training and, and, and proper nutrition for women uh, and, and showing that, you know, strong is good. Um, the girls that got girls gone strong are, are great on that aspect as well. Uh, you have Molly and everything and everybody over there. Um, in terms of training, Brett has always been somebody that I kind of um, followed and, and kind of looked to in terms of where I was getting a lot of my information from, Brett Contreras. Um, and then obviously from a more scientific scientific point of view, uh, Brad was a big one that I followed. Um, and then of course Schoenfeld. He's oh, Schoenfeld. He's referring to Schoenfeld. Yeah. yeah. And then of course you have uh, Dean. Another man from the north up here that I uh, have, you know, loved from day one. So. Dean, Dean Somerset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn it. So <laughs> Jeff, Jeff <laughs> being a longtime listener, would be in on the uh, the running joke that we, we've actually missed a couple episodes a while back, but we somehow managed to sneak his name in there somewhere. So we got that out of the how, way early. How did you go? So this is kind of funny because I think a lot of people may have the same experience. How did you go upon axing the people that suck shit? In terms of information, because there's a lot of people, and you named some good people. Like, how did you go about like kind of cutting the roster? Well, so I, 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 you know, don't hide the fact that I did paleo. I tried keto. I tried, you know, literally almost everything that wasn't, you know, common sense would normally tell most people is ridiculous. Um, and from that, I realized that they just, you know, these things didn't work. But it's when you get when you identify who the right people are and you start building a, you know, a proper education on the subjects, that's where I found it's like, okay, I, I, I see how they're presenting their message. I see. And even some good people don't necessarily present the message the right way, I think. Um, but that was kind of how I really started to, you know, weed out who the bullshitters were, mm -hmm. um, was listening to the way they portrayed their message and it was, for me at least, easy to tell that they were using scare tactics, yeah. fear mongering on a lot of to on a lot of topics. The problem is, is a lot of, and this is what I see with my clients. A lot of people don't have the ability to understand that what they're using are scare tactics and fear mongering, mm -hmm. and, and you know, just peddling total BS. And you know, they're they're making their way with it. But uh, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to um, decipher that myself. I think that's a good point, though, is that unless you're willing to kind of dive into the education piece yourself, you are going to be mm -hmm. at the mercy of kind of other people's message. And that is hard to distinguish sometimes when you don't even have a basic understanding of the concepts. Like you're basically you're at the will of of the Internet, which is like... you're 100 percent right. And, and that's the thing. It's I I mean, I base 
all of this, you know, my own story on the fact that I got an interest in it. I gained, you know, through my own weight loss and everything, I gained an interest in it. And because of that, I, I dove down, you know, the rabbit hole, if you will, of trying to learn more as much as I absolutely could. And I developed a passion out of that. Now, obviously, most clients aren't going to do that. Most people that want to lose weight just want to lose weight. And it's that's the problem is that they are, um, you know, and this is kind of how I base my coaching and, and how Spencer and mine's program is, is, is being developed. Our program is about education. It's about meeting people where they're at and trying to actually teach them what is going on and what we should be looking for, even if it's not from us. Maybe you're with me as a coach for three months and you're like, you know what, I'm going to try things on my own. Well, hopefully they've at least taken enough out of that that they can then decipher uh, and, and weed through so much of the BS that's out there on the Internet and you know, in the news and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, makes sense. I find that. One of the things I was going to say, you're talking about keto and paleo and all that stuff, is I'm always very aware or wary of any fitness professional, nutrition professional who presents <clears throat> one nutritional ideology as the only way. And again, you get people who are selling keto, you get people who are selling intermittent fasting. Those things are fine in the right context for the right people. But if someone is selling you that as the answer to everybody, that is a person you're going to want to ignore. That is not someone who is going to be soundly evidence-based or qualified or credible. Yep. And unfortunately, there is a lot of them out there. Oh, there is. I the, mean, like, I, I uh, well, you know a, a, a guy that's local to me, Andrew. We've talked about him when we first met in Kansas City. Uh, yeah, he's a big, uh, he, he's yeah, big on one of those ideologies. Yeah, he seems yeah, a bit skeezy. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, myself, I mean, with my clients, I just started with a guy um, this week. I've got him on a keto approach. Uh, I've got another client, a long-term client of mine, who we started with intermittent fasting, and then we went into some, we got away from that, but now we're moving back towards IF. Um, I've got other people that, you know, are, are, are CrossFitters, and they like the paleo way, um, but since being with me, maybe I, I've kind of opened their eyes up to what I more like to consider a modified paleo that maybe includes a little bit more variety, right? Move them off of the rigidity of the indoctrination of because exactly. paleo really, crossfitting could be diet, strong cult-like indoctrination. Yeah, they got the right crowd, that's for sure. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's talk cult-like ideology. Yeah. And we've got the the cannabis community. Um, this being Canada, and all three of us are Canadians. Um, we've seen recent legislation. Um, legalizing marijuana here and a lot of marijuana related stuff. So, um, and I saw you post about this recently. So can you explain how THC and cannabis and CBD oils, how they may affect fitness directly or indirectly and weight loss amongst users? Because let's be honest, we've all had clients who smoke marijuana as part of their lifestyle. If they didn't, they're going to because it's Canada. They (laughs) could if they wanted to. Um, Yeah, exactly. So, THC kind of it, it targets a receptor, and what that does is it, it 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 can create these cravings. Okay, and so the munchies are real, right? Um, <laughs> and it's like it's a real thing. And the problem is, is that when these things set in, I mean, maybe you're at a party, maybe you're at your house, whatever. And these things set in, you're going to grab whatever you have, right? I mean, you know, whatever. And this is all about setting up your food environment. Now, I have a hypothesis. Um, and it's, 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 it could be totally stupid and totally off base and not going to work whatsoever. But I'm, I'm talking to a couple of my clients right now that, uh, that do smoke pot and I'm going to actually guinea pig them a little bit on my idea is that I'm going to have them do like a kitchen cleanse type of deal where they get rid of all these, you know, typical craving foods, get rid of those from the kitchen, get rid of them from the fridge and freezer and stock their, you know, fridge up with those typical, you know, quote unquote, healthy foods. If they can go ahead and smoke and when those cravings hit in and there's nothing that, you know, the Cheetos aren't there, whatever's not there um, to go and grab, if those things, their typical go-tos aren't there, but they can go and grab, you know, pre-chopped vegetables or fruit or whatever, but, or protein shake or Rice, you know, uh, Greek yogurt. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm wondering if the food environment, even in that craving state, could potentially lead to a habit of gravitating towards those foods when cravings do set in. It's a bit of a wild idea, but 
Um, I wonder. I it's, it's kind of cool. And I have a couple clients that I can actually try this with. Because so. <laughs> normally the munchies would probably go highly palatable, so like fat sugar. Exactly. Oh. Not to mention that you have reduced inhibitions, so you're more likely to go for that sort of food anyway. Yeah, exactly, right? And that's, that's the idea is that it's, it's no different if you're drinking, right? I mean, when you lose inhibitions, yes, alcohol, it's empty calories and all this kind of stuff. But if you're a bottle and a you know a, you know a dozen beers in and okay great you've you've drank a thousand calories or whatever, what is happening next? You're heading for the local pizza shop. You're heading for whatever, and then all of a sudden you're three more thousand calories in, and now you're four thousand calories over or whatever like that if you're tracking your macros, and that's really where. The problem is, is is coming in, I think. I don't think it's the alcohol itself. Sure, that shot you over a little bit. But if you're all of a sudden going from one to 4,000 extra calories over um, because you've completely lost all your inhibitions towards food, um, you know, obviously you're going to do more damage in that sense. And I think that the same is going to go true with with pot is that you're going to hit those highly palatable, high, highly palatable foods that you're craving but if they're not there, I'd be very, very interested to see what happens. Now, obviously, pizza delivery can come right to your door, so this <laughs> they, might be completely they have, turn, they have to turn their phone off, and they have to, well, I guess they can't drive. Um, they'd have to hide their keys, though, so their roommate couldn't drive. Like, you'd have to, like, basically... I know. I don't think this is going to work, but it's 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 just an idea I've kind of had that I'd really like to try with a couple of these clients that I that I can actually test this with, but... And then you got Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes, so you're like, this shit's not going to get it easier anytime soon. Something that sort of occurred to me in all this conversation and it's something that I've actually had a conversation with a number of my female clients. The world that we live in is designed, I mean, honestly, your average guy eats more calories than they need and portion sizes are pretty much guy sized. Western culture, we have massive portion sizes. Women grow up, especially smaller women who are going to have a, a lower metabolism or a lower need for calories. They've become conditioned to eat in a lot of cases, the same portion sizes, the same servings in restaurants or even at home as men do. And a lot of women, especially ones who get used to alcohol, can consume alcohol in line with what men can. So if it's already overconsumption for guys culturally, women really do want to pause and consider just how the world, the dietary nutritional world, the way it's been designed is not meant for them to maintain a certain body size. They actually actively have to take steps to keep their calorie intake from going over their knees. It's definitely unfair, and I think some people <clears throat> really struggle with that part. Or they get two yep. meals for one at a restaurant. That's how I'd look at it. Well, they can, they can that's, that's a tactic, right? That's a <laughs> yeah. solution to say, okay, I'll eat half my meal, and then I'll pack the other half up and go. But on a more pervasive level, I think a lot of women are conditioned to eating larger portion sizes, consuming more uh, alcohol than their needs by a f big overshoot and they really have to stop and think about the fact that well these two things are incongruent the, the desire to stay at a certain size and body fat level and the desire to consume food this way it feels unfair this of course is why we see all these quick fix fad diets and, and people wanting to do something hardcore only to go back to living the same way the solution is to realize guess what life ain't fucking fair you can't drink that way and you can't eat that way if you want the aesthetic and health goals you have long term. Well, you got to come to grips with that. And that, that's sort of a harsh reality. Well, coming to grips with the fact the environment is set up for them to fail and set up for us to fail. They're just smaller so they can overconsume. It's environment completely. Like it's, yeah. you're in the worst, you're in a hostile environment. <laughs> yeah, it, you're 100% right though. And, and it is environmental. I mean, it doesn't, you know, if you go out to eat, I mean, Andrew, you, you nailed a, a point. That's perfect. None of this is set up for success for any of us. It doesn't matter whether we're, you know, a guy, you know, we're looking like Andrew is huge. Um, or you're looking like a guy that's like, that's me, who's, you know, this average size guy or a guy that's even smaller than me, who's 160 pounds. Realistically, most people can't get away with going out and eating in those types of environments all the time. And if you're a woman, you, you nail it perfectly. They are uh, at a significant disadvantage. Um, and it's, you know, it's something I've talked with a, a couple clients about, you know, 
I've gone out for, for, for dinners with clients before where we, you know, longtime clients where it's like, okay, great. It's a year anniversary. We're going to go out for dinner. Um, but it's one, you know, I sit across from them. We're having this great conversation on my drive home. I'm realizing, wow, we just had basically the same food mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she's a female client who's much smaller than I am yet what was on our plates didn't differ whatsoever. And at the end of the day, we were, you know, even me as her nutrition coach, we were having a a great conversation back and forth about her progress and everything. And I didn't even notice it Mm -hmm. right until it was after the fact. And we both had, you know, everything that was on the plate. Now this kind of goes into my idea of choosing your battles as well and and looking at things from a, a, a value based system. What do you value? Do you value, you know, your health and wellness? Do you value your friends and family and time out within that social time and all that? And then picking those, when do those certain values compete and which one should win out over one another potentially? And when can they live in harmony? Right. Um, It's, 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 I find it's a, it's a, it's a method that a lot of people aren't really looking at a whole lot. I'm not really sure why it's, it kind of feeds into the flexible dieting mindset, but it takes it a step further. It's understanding how we can be flexible with all of our, you know, interests and, and, and social requirements and, 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 and picking what should we be doing when we're out to social ev- events. And, you know, when do we maybe say, no, you know what, I'm not going to that. Or, you know, how do we approach those conversations with those people we're, you know, set to be doing those things with? Well, and even the progress of being able to decide whether you're able to go in those environments or not, because some people at the beginning of their journey probably aren't meant to be in those environments, but like as they build up those skills, they could. So it's that even that understanding or awareness is probably, I guess that's our job as coaches to kind of turn that light bulb on. But that, that's exactly. a huge step too, is just some people just aren't ready. Like it sucks that they take, take those environments out, but if they don't, they, they that's a loss for a lot of people. I, I know exactly. And, and that's the whole, you know, we, we, a lot of us speak of flexibility and everything, but it's, we have to understand where we can be flexible and when we can be flexible. There's, there is a time that rigidity is required for certain people. Um, there's a time and place for everything. I think, you know, there's a time and place for rigidity. There's a time and place for flexibility. It's, we're just being so myopic on the, on the, on, on everything. We're saying, nope, rigidity is the way to do this or nope, you have to be flexible or you're going to eventually binge on everything. Right. And it's like, no, there, there, there is an in-between place and we just have to learn where that is. Well, and, and even just speaking of flexibility and, and weed and munchies and snacks and having all these things fit in, this kind of goes into snacking while you're not high. So like normal snacking, <laughs> uh, what are the biggest obstacles to, 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 body fat loss can be snacking and how I guess do you kind of put people on that spectrum of rigid and flexible and navigating snacking snacking triggers bored hunger versus like actually physiologically being hungry right it's it's um it's more so about understanding I think getting that person to think about what has been going on um you know earlier in that day that's usually where I start out with with a with a client let's say they're you know, um, somebody that finds themselves snacking late at night a lot. That's that's their their time of the day that things become an issue. Well, the first place I think we should probably be looking is how is how has the rest of their day been set up? I mean, we all know that you know meal timing and all this for for general population folks really isn't a big deal. But I think you know we're looking at the research from such a you know pinpointed way that it's like well no meal timing doesn't necessarily matter all that much, but Maybe it does in the sense that we are, um, you know, going too long without a meal for somebody that needs to have just to, to, to feel satiated, right? Especially for somebody who's just starting off, changing a lot of food types that they're eating, um, changing the, 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 the types of food they're eating, the, the amount that they're eating. Satiation isn't going to come immediately. They, they have to learn what these new types of foods are going to keep them full longer for and all this kind of stuff are. And all of a sudden, if we're trying to change too much, the beginning start of their day, they could be having, you know, a, a seven-hour window at the end of the day where they could be having a snack. But they've said, oh, no, 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 I've, I've eaten so much already, but it was way earlier, so I have to, 
you know, I, I can't eat anything at all. And now all of a sudden they're reaching for the Cheetos or whatever it is um, that they, they've, you know, snuck away in the, in the pantry. It's understanding that maybe there's a way of still including that to a point that they don't get to that craving level. You know, like if it's okay, you know, the, the idea of flexibility is, you know, basically the old saying of everything in moderation is okay. But it's not necessarily untrue. It's that people just don't know how to, you know, people don't know the real definition of moderation. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, if the earlier part of the day is, is completely out of whack or not set up properly, yeah, that evening is still going to be a total uh, goat rodeo for them, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to focus on that big area that's always been an issue for them, even though the earlier part of their day may have been absolutely fantastic from a coach's perspective and the client's perspective. Later in the day, They've set themselves up for failure, you know, um, in the hours preceding that. For a lot of people, evening snacking is very much a habit. It is so ingrained yep. in their behavior that just think about when you come home. And if you're someone who you hit the couch right away, think yep. about, is that really a choice you conscientiously made? Or is it like all of a sudden you just, you're on the couch and you don't even kind of remember the action as much as you just ended up there. If you are someone who snacks normally as you watch television in the evenings, it is probably such an ingrained instinctive habit at this point that it's going to require some rewriting, some actual tools to break habits. I just recently read James Clear's Atomic Habits. And James, did you meet James when, when I met you in Kansas City? He was there. Yeah, he was there, but I don't think I got the opportunity to meet him. Quiet, humble, awesome dude. Um, pretty, I know he's good friends with Andy Morgan. So anyway, I've been talking to James, and we do have him booked to record for with us in January. So he's he's booked and set. Hopefully, we're able to make it work. We're to bring him on to talk about the book and about habits because, well, that's at the essence of a lot of what we deal with. So it becomes making the the automatic habits harder to do, and then making the habit that you want. To change it to easier so it if again it goes to you know if there's snacks around the house all the time one of the best tactics let's cut the shit here is to not let the fucking snacks be in the house yeah right? exactly I mean, it, it, another thing is is um one thing i tried with one client was they always came through uh, like a little mud room in their home uh when they got home from work and that mud room was basically also uh, like a, a pantry type of deal so they had Ooh. like chips and crackers and stuff in there so i had them start coming in you know, it was through conversation, just regular conversation that I, we figured this out. And I said, okay, well, how about this? How about you start coming through the front door of your house? And this sounds ridiculous, but it actually worked. <laughs> it they stopped worked. Snacking. I think it sounds like, great. It, yeah, it, it sounds crazy. Like, it's like, okay, well, how does that happen? But it was just a change in, um, a, such a slight change in the environment that it created a major change in the way they started that, you know, after work period, Right. They didn't come in. They weren't coming directly into the kitchen. They had to come through the house. Then they had to go through a new set of steps to, you know, take their jacket off and put their boots in the right spot and this and that and the other thing. And all of a sudden, the entire, you know, in those the next hour was completely changed for them. Um, so it was it was kind of a cool process to watch. Um, and as it as it kind of progressed with it, even the later stages of the evening started to change too. They were you know, being more mindful of, of things. I mean, they didn't have, they didn't grab the, the bag of chips uh, to start off with. So the next meal that they had was a whole foods, uh, you know, actual supper or dinner, you know, with their, you know, their, cause they were doing great in terms of eating lean proteins and, you know, the, all the rules, if you will. But because they didn't start off that day, they were actually getting that or that, that evening story with half a bag of chips or whatever, <laughs> they were able to actually finish a whole food meal that kept them full longer. And all of a sudden their cravings later in the evening were kind of disappeared on top of it. So it was really a, a really cool waterfall effect that we saw. Something that I had some cool success with, with one particular client, I train a lot of police applicants here in the city. Yep. Um, we sort of have a, a, a arrangement through the, um, the Edmonton City Police, and so they get funneled through uh, Evolve South or Evolve in general, and I end up with the ones that come to the South. So one of these guys, <clears throat> he was his goal is to lose some weight. He's really passionate about the idea to be a police officer. He's he's heavier set for sure, and he stopped eating the same larger portions for his regular meals, and he made a few other adjustments. 
But in the first couple of weeks, we hadn't seen any real weight change. So we got into it, and then so he identified with some discussion that he was snacking, his regular snacking and evening chips, things like that. So I put it straight to him in a very, you know, direct but very polite way. And I said, is sitting down every evening and eating chips consistent with your identity that you aspire to of being a police officer? And he gave me a quick and blunt no. So I pushed that, and I said, why would you wait until you are, and this is what people do. They wait until they, they plan to wait until they're going to be somewhere that they want to be before they start changing their behavior to line up with that identity. If you want to be successful achieving something, and this is a perfect example of being a police officer, in order to get there, you have to act like the, the identity that you envision. Without that change now, it's going to be very, very hard to reach where you want. And why would you then all of a sudden do it then? Right? So yeah. it makes no fucking sense whatsoever not to make those changes now. Light bulb moment. He got on top of the snacking. It changed. And we started seeing weight loss progress. So I know that won't necessarily work for any, well, everyone. But I think it's a valuable way to well, think if you're trying to achieve, be somewhere different well, career-wise. And even go like, so the light bulb was the police thing. But I would even put that down as a purpose. So like... He now knows and understands. Like, he can say that's his purpose, but until you kind of said, like, is this really important to you? And he's like, oh, it actually is. And then he starts kind of going that route. But without that purpose, it's very hard for people to join into, like, I guess, the process. Yep. Yeah, I totally, I, I, I can totally understand that. And that's, it's a great way to, 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 to put it with that client, Andrew, is, okay, you have this goal. It doesn't matter really what this goal is, but is your process right now consistent with what you're going to be doing in the future once you have reached that goal? And if the answer is no, okay, well, do you think practicing that right now is going to prepare you for, you know, when you have reached this, this stage in your life? And, and the answer to that is 99.9%. Yes. I'd say, um, I, I, I don't see why, you know, the whole idea of practice makes perfect. You might as well start practicing now. It's just understanding how to get through to that client and get them to start practicing, obviously. And, and that becomes just an individual um, an individual uh, topic. It's an extension of the metaphor, dress for the job that you want, not the job that yep. you have. It's just a broadening exactly. of that. Of course, then people make Batman uniform jokes. Um, yeah. And, Which and... is fair. <laughs> you might as well pick, pick apart the argument before you... <laughs> Fuck, so I shouldn't wear my Spider-Man uniform? <laughs> you could try. I, mean, with, with... I was bitten by a spider and my face got all fucked up and I had a fever. Didn't get superpowers, so <laughs> it didn't work. Well, I'm trying to go that route. Hey, okay, so... And I'm serious. There's, there's one person who is a regular listener, is a friend of, uh, of two good friends of mine, and she might get this reference, but uh, you talk about getting bit by animals. One of my friends was in Mexico some years ago and got bitten on his dick by a shark by a baby shark what yeah for real was it, it was it attached afterwards he was fine he was fine it was just it was kind of scary but he was fine but yeah so yeah he didn't get any superpowers off of that is there a scar i don't know i've never seen it you should ask, oh, you don't need to you could ask that'd be the first thing i ask like what 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 does it look like now i have no desire the, the baby out. shark circumcised him uh what is that what is that baby what's that video baby shark that music video uh, the kid one? Yeah, his kids actually, his kids, my, my friends, they love that baby shark, mommy shark uh, song. It's the worst. Yeah. It was at, it's on family dinners on Sunday. It's fucking on repeat. It's the worst. I used to teach. To be honest with you guys, this is the one spot I didn't think I was going to be surrounded by that damn song. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, so I was a teacher before all this. Imagine you're like teaching kindergarten, grade one, two, three, four. Bro. That's like the biggest thing in their life. And it wasn't shark. It was some other fucking there's like there's like a new video every fucking year. Those videos go on repeat for all the breaks, like because there's lots of snow out here. So like sometimes they're inside. You play those all the time. So imagine being surrounded in a world where like you're listening to that two hours a day, and there's instead of having one child, there's like thirty singing it. It's like the it's like the worst. I used to do that. Like it was horrible, man. Oh, okay. I'm heating up. Okay, let's get back. So. We kind of talked about this before with, I guess, eating at night and snacking, but um, people still fear eating at night. Um, what's your thoughts on it? kind of explaining this myth and let's discuss where late eating gets people into trouble? Yeah, so it's, it's you know, 
it's a good tie into what we were just talking. But what are the foods that people are generally eating after eight o'clock? It's you know, <laughs> it's not chopped vegetables and an apple. It's you know, it, it, it's potato chips. It's it's you know, ice cream. It's yeah. it's it's those once again hyper palatable, easy to digest, just easy to grab and eat type foods. Foods that taste delicious and they taste even better at the end of a stressful day. Oh yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I think that there is kind of another trigger on top of it. I mean, and, you know, going back to what we, we talked about looking at what the beginning of your day looked like in terms of meal timing. Um, I think we can also go back to look at what the, your day looked like in terms of, you know, how emotional responses and stress levels, um, you know, whether it's family, friends, work, whatever, um, what did that day look like? And is that causing you that, that strain later in the day? And what are we grabbing at after eight o'clock? It's not that calories, you know, magically automatically turn to fat, um, after a certain period of time. And the argument I actually, when people ask me, well, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, on eating after, you know, eight o'clock or seven o'clock, whatever it is. And it's amazing how many people still do ask that question. Um, but, um, I basically ask, okay, well, when was the last time you crossed the time zone? <laughs> and, and they said, well, actually I went on, you know, I was in, on the West coast, you know, eight months ago. All right, great. Well, did like, did you completely screw your body up by just traveling across the country? Well, no. I was like, well, exactly. So this makes no logical sense whatsoever, just from that standpoint alone. Cause anytime you travel, you completely ruin yourself. But, um, it's, it's, it's all a matter of what we're grabbing after that time of day. It's, it's nobody is grabbing, you know, vegetables, a protein shake or whatever. Um, you know, one of the things that I have with people, um, if they are, you know, snacking a lot in the evenings, I'll just simply change that snack to begin with. Um, we'll change it to like a little bit of Greek yogurt and some berries or something like that. Um, and from there, there's still, you know, if they are experiencing hunger later in the day, great, they're hungry. We're going to help that and hopefully we can get a little bit of sweetness with the berries in there. And they're still, yes, eating later in the evening. And yes, it's still calories, but at least we're improving the food selection type at that time. And once again, this is obviously highly individual with, with client to client, but they're not choosing a bag of chips, which is stupid easy to dummy and, <laughs> and just get down, right? And um, Get down. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that's, you know, the conversation always leads back to the idea of do you have to keep these foods in the house anyways? And what if we remove those foods from the house during the week? So, you know, up here it's like, okay, well, I love having, you know, a bag of chips and a few beers watching the hockey game on Saturday night. All right, great. Well, how about you go to the gro you don't keep those things in the house during the week. On Saturday afternoon, you go to the grocery store, you go to the liquor store, you grab your six pack, you grab a personal size bag of chips, and then you come home and then it's there for Saturday night. And guess what? They're not there on Sunday anymore. Right. And all of a sudden you've, you've included those things in your food and environment, but your food environment has changed immediately after that situation has, 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 has been finished. Right. So, um, you know, all of this kind of ties in, it's all this, it, the biggest thing I see with a lot of people is their environment. I think it's the food environment, social environment. These are the biggest topics I see with the, I've coached over 200 people now. It's the number one thing that is always talked about at least once in, in the process. Um, you know, everybody is an individual case, but that is the one thing that we focus on the longest with every single one of my clients. Your food environment changes so much. If anyone's familiar with a book called Nudge by, I think it's Thaler is his last name. One of the earlier parts of the book. I actually gave up on the book halfway through because it's some weird shit. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that very often. But early on, and this, this study has been cited in a bunch of different places. It was a food court or school cafeterias and where they place bottles of water versus where they place like the pop. And by placing bottles of water or in, in other cases, it's healthier food, uh, higher up, more on eye level, and in more accessible places, more bins of bottled water. What you see is statistically people will make the choice to consume the 
the water versus the Coke or the, the healthier food more consistently. So you can, the premise of the book is nudge these decisions by altering the environment around you. And it goes to, we've repeated several times about what we have in the house or where we are, where it's situated. Breaking habit loops is important, obviously. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't this no different than what all these major food companies are doing with having psychologists on staff and everything yeah. on how are people um, drawn to certain foods? How do we place it in the supermarket? How do we place it in the convenience store? It, it, I mean, it's no different. So for us as coaches, I think if we take a page under that very same book, you know, I mean, you could argue that we're trying to fight against big food or whatever. I don't know. Well, they're just uh, smarter. Like they've been using these tricks since like the 50s. Yeah, like that, exactly. that's how it started. It's, it's no different. We're just using the same tricks or maybe we should be at least it's working for them. But to Andrew's yeah. point, it it's been shown that it still works the opposite way. If, if we food placement, that food environment works. So it, there's, it's um, I think it's a convenience thing. I think that people are lazy. That's realistically what it comes down to. We're all lazy and whatever we can do for um, to make things easy we're going to do whether that's necessarily what we really want to do or not. If it's still easy and kind of gets that, that point us to that same point, we're going to choose that route. Something that very much works. You hear this a lot is instead of having the fruit hidden in the bin in the fridge, having it in a bowl on the counter, people yeah. will consume more of it. That little change can spur a lot of behavior change. I was thinking like, I don't even, maybe this is a trick. But you can take all because the packaging, like the the higher psychologists to get you on the packaging, the take colors. the take the food out and put it in like clear bins. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, see, you don't get, your brain doesn't get fucked. So I know the packaging gets you. It, I I will say one thing, Andrew, you nailed it. I know that the crisper in my fridge is where vegetables go to die. Oh, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And, they and die, I, and I eat lots of vegetables, right? Uh, but that is still where the, I, I completely ignore them. When I put them in there, it's like, a, and it's clear. So actually to your point, Dean, it's actually a clear crisper. I can see in it. I just don't get them. <laughs> They're too um, hard to get to. It's yeah. That's the thing. It is too hard when the other yeah. stuff's just well, there. Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that if uh, I haven't had Lucky Charms in forever, but I love them. I just don't bother to have them in the house or eat them. Why would you like Lucky Charms? It has nothing to do with the Irish heritage. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he loves Lucky Charms, apparently. Because your uncles... Because they're, mar they're marsh magically delicious, exactly. right? Anyway, but I think if you took them out of that box and put them into a clear, like, cereal thing, I would see it just as easily and be like, I want that. I see marshmallows. I'm going to eat those. You're right. Now, the other thing is, this this has its limits. It's not like, well, if you put your ice cream out on the counter, it's going to go, it's going to melt anyway. That's but a great we, strategy to we, not we, eat it. That's a great strategy to not eat it. <laughs> Whereas we know it's in the freezer and we're going to go get it. So. Free I've done this and I, and I didn't mean to do it. I just know that I'm less likely to do it. I have two freezers downstairs and then my fridge upstairs with the freezer. Anytime I put ice cream or like frozen yogurt downstairs, it takes months to eat. Because <laughs> it's, it's like it's too far at like 10 o'clock at night. Like fuck that. I'm tired. If it's upstairs, it's gone within like two weeks. Yeah. So same thing. So, I'm same lazy. Applies with any any snacks. I mean, if you're gonna have Tostitos in the fucking house and salsa downstairs, put, put that shit downstairs. Get it out of the way. I hate going down to my deep freeze. Can't stand it. It's the worst. And it's dark. There could be monsters down there. You never know. Well, I, I'll tell you something that I actually do here. Um, I I'm I love beer as much as any other Canadian, um, but. I made a, a kind of a, a, I decided that, you know, I'm going to stop drinking completely uh, during the week. And I, you know, put my beer consumption Friday, Saturday night. And, you know, I might still only drink two or three beer at most, uh, not a heavy drink or anything like that. But what made it easier to do was putting a little mini fridge in my basement and putting the beer down there. And it was out of sight, out of mind. And did you know you're doing that or did you just like, uh, I did that. Yeah, yeah, I did that myself and it became, and I like, I'm a big craft beer drinker that, you know, I, but all the craft breweries around Halifax know me. I organized, <laughs> a I organized a training run. If you've probably heard of the Canada beer run, I organized training runs here locally in Halifax to prepare for it, which each training run would finish at one of the host breweries. Um, but <laughs> it was so, but I, so I was like, okay, maybe if I, you know, set my environment up myself. Uh, and I've been doing this for a number of years, but I still find things that can improve my own lifestyle. Right. And, 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 and I moved those things downstairs and sure enough, it worked. I don't even think about beer during the week. 
and then Friday night hits, I know where the beer is still. So I go down and I grab a couple <laughs> and I have it, and 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 it's great. It, it's 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 weird and it's 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 funny to talk about, but it's it's crazy because it does work. You should get someone to hide the beer fridge in different spots in the basement every week, so you have to like search for it. My house just is not very big; it wouldn't work so well. <laughs> or just like a new place every week, so you have to like leave the house, and someone goes and puts it somewhere in the house. I've never gotten the the excitement over craft beer. I like good vodka and good scotch. That's what I like. So and lucky, and lucky charms. Ah, lucky charms aren't even that exciting. I'm a whiskey scotch guy too, Andrew. So I, I get you on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, here's more fun with all this stuff. And this one tends to sometimes get a little touchy, and it's about nutrition as it relates to kids. We will hear people go as far as to say seeing an obese child is child abuse. Right. It's a very, very strong statement, yet there are a lot of people out there who take a very strong stance about this. Providing them with the best environment and habits at a young age, we know that's important. What are your thoughts on how we as a society are raising our kids surrounding nutrition yeah you're right it's definitely a hard topic and i've, I've caught some flack from some people because i don't have kids myself and i said well you know how can you possibly weigh in on the topic and i said well i understand nutrition so i think i can certainly weigh in on the topic um, just because it's a child versus an adult doesn't really mean anything we all have requirements uh, to live a healthy life but um here's my stance on it and this is kind of what got me in trouble with a couple people before, um, and they kind of argued with me on it, is that the parents are the boss at the end of the day. What they say should be going. The kids shouldn't be running their parents. Um, I think that the problem that we're running into, though, isn't necessarily that it's the parents' fault. I think it's the fact that, you know what, the parents don't know what they're doing either. Um, if the parents are overweight or obese for whatever reason, well, you know what? The reason could be because they haven't, you know, their environment, you know, growing up or whatever wasn't great. I mean, we all know there's a multitude of reasons this, this could be, you know, obesity doesn't, doesn't just happen overnight for one specific reason. But if that's all they know, that's all they're going to know to teach their own kids. That's not their fault. Right. And then, you know, what we started talking about before, the Internet is full of BS. And where does everyone go for advice now? The Internet. And all they get is, you know, more garbage. And this is why they can't make a change themselves and why their kids are often following in those same footsteps. I think the most powerful thing that we can do as what the most powerful thing that parents can do is is cook with their kids. Try to get them in the kitchen with them, make meal, like make supper preparation, preparation a couple days a week, at least a part of their day, a part of family time. Um, one, family time is important to begin with. And two, it helps teach them from a young age, these healthy habits and these routines that and, and, and get them coming to the grocery store with you. And it's funny because I had a client that started doing that and she her kids absolutely love it now. It's one of their favorite things to do is to go help mom grocery shop and cook supper and it was really eye-opening to her um she said that you know her kids by by no means were obese or, or anything like that but she had lost quite she lost 70 pounds with me and she was um she had a, a a big concern that what she was showing her kids she didn't want to so when you know we started you know working together she eventually started bringing her kids into the fold of bringing them to the gym if she couldn't get childcare that day, which was cool because we got to work out. You know, the kids were on her back as she was nailing push-ups out. <laughs> um, and uh, she started bringing them to the grocery store and she started, you know, cooking with them and showing them, you know, how to come up with recipes and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And the kids turned into, to, started loving it. And they're, they're quite young. They're only like six years old. Um, but I think that if we can get back to that and this starts in school too, you know, if home ec or whatever the classes are called, um, where you go in and they teach you how to cook. I think if even the schools start making these things mandatory again, that will make a big change. Uh, I remember when I was back in high school, I had to do a class in grade eight or nine, I think, and we did cooking and stuff like that. But after that, from what I remember, it got canned. 
and these skills are are vanishing and it's 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 really unfortunate because i think those skills and the parents coming up with those skills and then using them along with their kids and utilizing it at home as family time and something to learn with uh, i think that would make probably the biggest difference out of anything i remember when i grew up um, i guess i was pretty lucky like my mom and dad had a pretty intuitive understanding of what good nutrition was. Dad would cook us oatmeal every morning. Now, again, we spoonful plenty of sugar on top of it, but we didn't have breakfast cereals except on the weekends we could have them. Mom cooked uh, home-cooked meals every night of the week, all seven nights a week pretty much. Um, we'd have homemade lunches or sandwiches or something. Like, it was where we would actually come home from school for lunch because we lived in a small town in rural Newfoundland. Uh, and then... I was given, as a kid, a $5 allowance when I was young. And, of course, I'm dating myself here. This is like, fuck, 35. 30, That's like $100. 33, 35, 35 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> where, you know, you could buy a chocolate bar. It was like 75 cents or less back then. You bag of chips, you know, a can of drink, like a couple chocolate bars. And your $5 would cover it and then some. And so I'd get to have that on a Friday, right? And then I'd have watch Saturday morning cartoons again with... I didn't even have Lucky Charms back then. You just need Fruit Loops was one of my favorites or other shit like that. Mini Wheats. That wasn't Those even are good. all good. They're all pretty good. But the point being is that I actually was really lucky from a food environment standpoint in terms of what I was fed and how I grew up to understand food. And, and I think that had a lot of lifelong positive effects. There's a lot of people, and it's important to not to judge the environment someone grew up in, what their parents knew, and to not look too harshly on what they're doing. And again, to take a parent who... Maybe they've got a kid who will scream until they're given a certain type of shit-ass food. And unfortunately, I think it is a mistake to give in in that situation. But I understand a tired, frustrated parent. Maybe it's a single parent who's working, you know, two jobs to try to provide. And whatever garbage food they want is is on the inexpensive side. And it's the only way to, like, calm down the stress and they're overwhelmed. I think it's really important not to be judgmental. But at the end of the day, if you... Create an environment where you raise a child in obesity, you're putting them at a monstrous disadvantage in society in a number of ways. They are going to be set up for a lot of hardship that's, growing up. That's really good advice. I want to know, though, like you were out east, like, did they even really have that much shit you could buy out yes. there? Like you're in like the boonies. Yes. There's like no people out there. Yes. Tons of shit. There's tons of shit? Tons of shit. Go move to like middle. Go move to an acreage, and I mean, you don't have all. The, you didn't have all the fast food stuff. That's there. what I mean. Like it's it's hard pressed. No no fast food wants to go to east. You still had like family sized bags of chips and, and two liter pop and all that I, stuff. I, I think this re realistically. I mean, I I do agree with Dean. Is that you know even I knew where you grew up. <laughs> I, I you know you told me where you're from it's, it's it, yeah it's the middle of friggin' nowhere but uh, <laughs> well shit uh, i mean you you originally from newfoundland too yeah, don't let it fool you so i want to see the fat statistics in newfoundland it's probably very low oh it's it's awful no 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 it's, no, it's awful yeah, it's okay. awful Never mind. yeah it's awful st john's you have corner broke and then it's wilderness and so um <laughs> wilderness fishermen basically so um I, I think that it's, you know, I think time has definitely changed. And nowadays, it's a much more obesogenic environment. Mm -hmm. um, we have, even in these small rural communities, there's always still a McDonald's. There's always still, still a Timmy's. Oh, there's a Timmy's. Uh, yeah, there's, God knows there's a Timmy's. But, um, you know, these places are, are everywhere now. So I definitely think that in today's society, it has, it is different than from when you know uh, our parents grew up or, or whatever however that being said i think the issue of the idea of that eating healthy is more expensive than not eating healthy is still um a big problem that we have the idea that you can't eat healthy at a certain budget um is, is completely false and i Agreed. think that's because of once again the bs that's out there that Frozen vegetables, frozen bagged vegetables are bad for you. No, they're not. They're great, right? And they're super cheap, right? Um, some canned vegetables and stuff are bad for you. No, they're not. Canned beans are great for you. If you can't cook fresh beans because they take a day to friggin' cook, um, then you know what? Buy canned ones. And, you know, they're not that expensive. We can eat to a point that, yes, we are going to help our health and improve our health and improve our weight and all this kind of stuff on a specific budget. And I think that 
that is a big issue that is, is that we're facing as a society is that that mentality is alive and well that you can't eat like that right it's expensive because the organic stuff you got to eat organic well no you don't have to eat organic um there's not a goddamn it, ounce of evidence out there that points to the fact that organic is better for us in any way shape no, or form. exactly right and and that's the thing it's like you don't need to eat organic so if let's say you have a hundred dollar food bill uh, at the grocery store and if you were to buy all those same foods it was a, it's a great whole food you know cart or whatever and you go and grab a hundred bucks worth and normally if it was organics it'd be 130 dollars let's say you could save those 30 dollars and put it towards a gym membership or put it towards uh, i don't know whatever more fruit and vegetables if you wanted to um and you'd be no further behind no further ahead than if you had paid the 30 dollars on the same amount of food right so it, it, I, I think that it once again comes down to the education that um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that aren't all that fortunate um, financially. They, they, you know, it's been a, you know, a, a generational type deal. Um, and they say, no, well, this is super expensive. We have to do this. You know, we got to eat off this menu at McDonald's and all this kind of stuff. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's go through a little exercise. And we go through that exercise and like literally we're able – to piece together these same meals. And you see these infographics on, on Instagram all the time. Spencer's done them, Carter's done them, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, that compare the two and the price is the same or potentially even less for a, for a similar meal, but actually much healthier for us. Um, and I, I think that that is where it needs to start because the parents think, well, one, it's cheaper, one, it tastes, you, know, you can make things taste good, but the parents don't even know how to cook in some cases, right? And I'm not judging those parents, like you said, Andrew, I mean, yeah. it, it's, we, we have to steer away that judgment from the parents. And, and I think that that's another big issue is that we're not, we're criticizing these people when we shouldn't be, we should be empathizing with them. Yeah, Agreed. because crit criticism is not a solution to this stuff. And then I was going to make a crack about this. I think we had a social media post a while back because I don't think it was a podcast thing, but it was sort of weird. It was sort of, it was a discussion about, you know, is it abusive or is it like fucking nuts to put kids on shit like keto or paleo or any of this sort of stuff. And someone, and I, I feel like it was probably Ashman that got in there and, and had the conversation, but in comparison to a typical Western diet, which is getting a lot of kids very obese anyway, are these protocols any more you know, abuse. Actually, I think Ashwin probably said. If you put, probably I think he said if you put a kid on keto, you're it's abuse. But that, that sounds more likely to be him. But I mean, when you really think about it, if you have like the basic principles behind healthy eating, which paleo more or less is anyway, uh, it's better than fucking coke and and McChickens. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'm not advocating for installing kids on these dietary ideologies, but at the same time, when you look at the dietary ideology that they're all being raised in right now, that's also a deep problem too. And then of course you get into like feeding your pets vegan diets. Like, don't. Well, there's a huge rabbit hole because you're, you're, you're going to get your fucking pets taken away and do shit like that. But yeah, that's yeah. for another time. You don't have much time left, do you, buddy? Uh, no, I got to get back to some clients here shortly. So let's get into, we always ask everybody for a book recommendation, something that's been really uh, meaningful. The, the book. Yeah. So do you have one to share with everybody? And no fucking so, scientific textbooks this time. Yeah. So I I, I know like with me, I have kind of put recently some reading on the back burner in order to really try to learn from sources themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and not that reading is bad for you or anything. I, I think reading is great. Um, I, I've just picked up, um, um, a couple books myself. I, I need to start reading why zebras don't get ulcers. Awesome book. Uh, I'm supposed I, yeah, to exactly. That's the, the next one I'm about to dive into hopefully this weekend. Um, I more so have looked in the most recent past towards, the actual sources of these people uh, of of the book. So, and sorry, Andrew, they are <laughs> people in our industry. There, it is a little bit more scientific. But for me, I'm a giant nerd. Um, that that's the that's my biggest problem. I love learning the technicalities of things. <laughs> but when you learn the technicalities of things, it's all about putting them into into you know actual practice. That's what I love doing. So when I've learned from you know I've been working with Spencer now specifically for 
three or four years, between three and four years, I think. Um, I just started off when, with a stupid little Facebook group in his um, three or four years ago that he had. Um, and I just started answering questions when he couldn't. And he messaged me one day saying, who the fuck are you? And from there, it kind of built on. He, now I'm, I'm, I'm coaching for him and, uh, uh, and it's been great. But it, it's actually internet, you know, networking with these people has brought me this, the point of view that it's like, okay, we have so many great minds in this industry. And I think this applies to any industry, but you know, on the topic of what we're on, all of this research, all of, you know, this knowledge doesn't mean Jack if nobody can apply it. So if, 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 you know, Brad Schoenfeld, writes the greatest training program book, you know, how to design a program or Nick Tuminello or Spencer writes another fat loss prescription. If we can't get through to the people that are buying these things that are using these things, how are, what lick of a difference does writing this book make? So that's what I've really enjoyed learning from, from everybody here and kind of arguing with some people. Um, and, and have, I've actually had a lot of conversation with Spencer on this saying, you know, dude, it's, it's not about the, the information we're giving. It's about the way we give them the information. And, um, you know, I've kind of put off my book reading as I've <laughs> gone down the nerd rabbit hole that uh, I usually tend to. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think more people need to do that. I think more people need to one read personal development stuff. I'm sure. But, if they want to read the research, that's great. But research ain't jack if you can't apply it. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether that's a, a client or a coach, I think we all need to to take away with that. I mean, Andrew, you've seen the. I mean, social media is just an echo chamber yep. of, uh, of of fitness professionals. I don't yep. know. It's it's such a powerful tool, and we're just using it to stand around and argue with one another. Right? <laughs> Not even argue, just tell each other we're right. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, oh yeah, so we are saying the same thing. Yeah, okay, well, shake hands on the internet now. and Did anyone see it that cares? No. I've, I've actually yeah. withdrawn from a lot of that stuff. Uh, better than I ever imagined. I don't yeah. participate in nearly as many conversations you, as I used to. Yeah. Uh, almost never argue about anything anymore, whereas I, years ago I would do that a lot. So it's tough because social media is a very powerful tool for us to help educate. So I try to actually put out content. Uh, the podcast, obviously, is one of the cooler vehicles that we could have had and yeah, we don't have to write shit. We just we, have to do this once. Oh, I have to write this shit. You do. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one who does all the tech stuff and creates yeah. the graphics. So, yeah. uh, but getting you on here, like this is actually one of my favorite podcasts we've ever done because I actually think everything we've gone through is so actually so useful. Just like you said, to actually help people apply this stuff, practical, useful strategies versus just meandering through technical theoretical ideas. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it's the idea. Okay. Yeah. Calories in, calories out. Yeah, Great. Yeah. Well, why are the calories too high and how do calories not be too high? That's, that's how you're actually going to invoke change. If, if you can't figure that out, then you're, you're running around in a circle. But, but it's just calories in, calories out, man. None of it matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just more protein. They're like, what the fuck is protein? Oh, okay. Yeah, don't get me started on the topic of protein. I mean, people are eating way too damn much protein, if you ask me. I think, but it's that's a that's a rabbit hole. That's another. That's another one. Okay, oh, yeah. I'm that. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where where can people find you? What's what's the best way to consume you? Um, my website is www.redefinedwellness.ca. Um, on social media, you'll find Redefine Wellness. Um, at Redefine Wellness on Instagram, uh, and then. Um, you can email me, uh, info at redefinedwellness.ca, or if you have a more um, medical side of things uh, that may need some medical nutrition therapy type of, uh, of stuff, you can email me at jeff at drspencer.com. Cool. Yeah, and then just look for Jeff Snow on, you have a, yeah, obviously follow you on Facebook or Instagram as well. Yeah, so Jeff Snow, my, honestly, like I have my Redefine Wellness Facebook page and Instagram page, and then my personal Instagram and Facebook because we all have to have that apparently too. Um, and it's, uh, my personal stuff is basically my personal stuff. I don't really, it's like, Hey, yeah, I'm drinking a beer here. I'm, I'm going for a run here. Uh, I'm cooking this meal. Uh, it's, it's more just of an in look at, at, I'm a real person too. Um, 
I'm not a robot sure. that's coaching you. Which is actually part of why this is so important. For anyone who has listened to me and Dean for a really long time doing this, you know, it's funny, like, I, I keep always forget to actually introduce us now on these things. So this voice here is Andrew Coates, and Guido's the one who tends to ramble a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, yep. I thought I was talking to Patrick Humphrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah, you, well, you did put me and Patrick in a meme together in your presentation in Spokane, and that's not the first time. Mike T. Nelson, our last guest, did the same thing. Took, took the same graphic after you did. I would did say it. you both sound like you look. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Point being, though, is if you've, yeah. if you've been a long-time listener to the podcast, you're just finding Jeff. Actually, go check out what he's doing. Like We brought him on for a reason. This is an awesome episode. And if you're someone who actually is a fan of Jeff, so you've been following him, maybe a client or what have you, and you're finding us for the first time. Well, we've mentioned Spencer Dodolsky a few times. He's close with Jeff. He's a friend of mine. He's done two. He's done two already we've had Sohili on a podcast that was early on and things and several of the people we need we had patrick Humphrey on a podcast we've had a lot of really great people like evidence-based people like dr mike Gizertel, uh brad dieter james krieger go check out some of that stuff look through our library of what we've done and if you like a few more of those episodes maybe you'll choose to stick around and subscribe because we're planning on more awesome industry people as we go forward Thank you very much for appearing, brother. It meant a lot. I see you guys. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. This is uh, this has been a lot of fun, actually. This is the first podcast, like I said. So, Dean, yes, you popped my, my podcast cherry. <sighs> see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. Shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down.